This is The Secret Library Podcast, a show about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a writer and writing coach, and this begins our ninth year and tenth season of the podcast. Our topic this season is money and writing, featuring a series of deep conversations about how writers strive to strike a balance between creativity and finances. Welcome back to the Secret Library Podcast. We're switching up the show in more ways than one this time around. And the first of which is that we are starting with a solo episode rather than an interview, as per usual in past seasons. So this is our ninth year of the show. And part of the challenge has been to continually update the conversation, continue to evolve the conversation as the writing world changes, while also discussing themes that feel current and enduring. This time around, we are looking at money because this is a real practical concern for writers, and the whole world is concerned about money at the moment. The world has been shaky for the past several years. And I find that economic shifts really hurt those on the fringes first. And the upturns tend to benefit those on the fringes last. It's really easy for us to think of the creative as optional. And so those of us working in creative fields see resources dry up quickly as soon as budgets shrink. And as long as the world thinks the creative is optional, they're going to fund it last. The previous time I felt this kind of shift, and I've heard this from other creatives as well, was back in 2008. And I had a business then working with creatives that I was unable to sustain through that downturn. Because having a creative coach was something that was a nice to have. And so since then, I've really shifted the way I look at money as a writer and as a coach, as a podcaster, as someone who thinks about writing, and also is now part of a much larger community of writers through my courses and through you listening to the show and other forms of discussion. So I wanted to get ahead of this conversation because a lot of us tend to react. I know that has been my default. Oh no, this is happening in the world. I have to panic and shift. But instead I find that making a plan, engaging with it on my terms as much as is possible, at least feels better, even if there is so much that's outside of our control. So the first question that I think it's important to ask, and it's a question that I have been asking regularly and even more regularly recently, is the question, what do we want from writing? What do I want to do with writing? And what do I want writing to do for me? Because there are many, many different ways 
to interact with writing in our lives. And thinking about money can feel anathema to the creative process, but money really isn't the enemy. In fact, it's a hugely impactful part of any creative's life. Money isn't the enemy. And in fact, it's a hugely impactful part of a creative's life. And the way that we want to interact with money is a, it's a symbiotic relationship, writing and money. And it's okay. I just want to put this out here from the beginning of this season that it's okay to want to earn money from your writing as a writer. And it's also okay to not earn money from writing and to call yourself a writer. These things are not mutually exclusive. I think we often feel that money is the determination of whether or not we are real writers. So let's separate those two things. Let's look at money as something that happens alongside writing and something that in this society that we live in, we have to get from somewhere. And that might be writing and it might not. And there are many different ways to do this. I'd like to suggest that we can approach this topic with curiosity. That said, it's been very interesting because I rarely procrastinate with the podcast. Um, Haley, my producer, might tell you otherwise, but for the most part, scheduling interviews, recording these episodes is an easy priority to have. But I have noticed hesitation as I've prepared to record this episode. I think part of it is that money is such a loaded topic. And in many ways, it feels to me like the new sex. It used to be totally forbidden to talk about sex. I mean, some aspects of sex still feel that way, but now you can get any amount of information, books, all kinds of open conversation about sex these days. And there are many, many books on money, and there are many, many books on financial planning. There's a lot of wonderful content and podcasts, but what I don't see as much of is creatives openly talking about where the money comes from and where they want the money to come from. So I think some of that anxiety or nerves or wobbliness manifested itself in me continually telling myself I wasn't quite ready to record this episode. So I put that out there also so as to be completely transparent about the fact that this is a loaded topic for me as well. It's a loaded topic for all of us. And it's one that I've been thinking about a lot. And that's how I pick the themes for these seasons is I try to dive into something that is taking up everyone's attention. And I try to focus on the thing that is the elephant in the room. So the guests that are coming on this season are people who interact with money and writing in a variety of ways. I'm quite excited about these conversations because we have 
old friends of the podcast and we have new friends of the podcast. I've been trying to expand our network of possibility and partly moving the show and moving my blogging to Substack has been a part of that in terms of there's a wonderful community of people I've met there and have been able to invite as a result of that. So we're starting with transparency, which is why I'm here first. And so let's just get into it. Let's get into how the money works. Because when I first started writing 20 plus years ago, I mean, I've probably written since I was about nine, but when I really wanted to start focusing on writing and making it a significant part of my life, I had zero expectation of making money from it. I was in my 20s, and so I knew I had to have another job. And I had the sorts of jobs one has in one's 20s when one isn't so confident about making money. I worked in shops. I worked in a knitting shop. I worked in a bookshop. Um, there was, you know, a lot of retail. And also I worked in restaurants. So these were the sorts of jobs I had. It was sort of like money was taking my vitamins. I had to do it somewhere. So I just got the thing that felt doable. And over time, I got more lucrative jobs in marketing, in working as an editor, as a proofreader. I was an executive assistant. I had a lot of different jobs. And partly this was all due to the belief that there was no way I could make money from writing. I didn't trust that that was possible for a very long time. But it became increasingly clear that I was not suited to working in an office setting. In particular, I was not suited to working in an open plan office, which resulted in hugely increased anxiety to the point that in one job where I was just so overstimulated, um, I ended up under my desk crying in a panic because I was so overworked and had worked so many days without days off, without space. I had no control over people barging in and out of my office and making noise, and it just pushed me over the edge. Despite having that experience, I went on to take additional jobs working for other people, because again, I didn't believe that there was any way I could make money under any circumstances other than having a day job working for other people in a traditional office setting. This seemed the only way. And part of the change that happened that allowed me to shift this was moving abroad. At the time that I sort of reached my edge, I was living in Los Angeles, one of the most expensive cities it's possible to live in. And so my overhead was astronomical. And so my husband and I realized that we wouldn't be able to pursue the creative goals that we had and live in a city that expensive. It just wasn't possible. So that prompted a move to Berlin, which we were very fortunate to be able to do. 
um, fortunate because we were coming from the U.S. that had a relationship with Berlin, uh, with Germany, in terms of visa possibilities, and in particular with Berlin, which was prioritizing visa access for artists, creatives, and language teachers. So I didn't give up the day job right away, but I became a language teacher early on in Berlin, um, a job where I got to set my hours, where I taught in a variety of settings. I was in small groups and I was not in an open plan office day after day. So this increase in autonomy and this increase in flexibility was huge. But I was still not making my money from writing. I taught creative writing on the side at first for another school, and then I started developing my own practice as a coach. But that was always a side job. I still didn't trust it as a, a main source of income. And this didn't really shift until 2020. When the language school where I was teaching was not teaching online when the pandemic hit. And so they needed to recalibrate. And I didn't really have enough of a buffer. I had been saving, but there was no way to, to live indefinitely without income. And so that forced me to innovate. And I think in many ways, the pandemic was what pushed me to realize that it was possible to build my own business in such a way that it was my primary source of income. Now, this still wasn't books that I had written fueling it, but building a writing community, creating courses, increasing the possibility of having a private coaching practice, that all really took off in 2020. And it became center stage. Whereas for the previous four or five years, it had been a side business, a second business, mainly because a salary job wasn't enough in LA. So my own writing had been pushed all the way to the margins and I was working two jobs in LA to get by. And in Berlin, where the cost of living was much lower, it has increased quite a bit since we've moved here, but it's still much lower than Los Angeles. It was possible to shift my hours such that I could spend more time on my writing. Now my income comes primarily from coaching and from writing courses and from my writing membership, the Manageable Yet Meaningful Writing Lab, which is a year-long program where writers get support and access to me at a more affordable level than paying for individual coaching. So that's my primary income, but it is inconsistent. Anyone who works for themselves knows that it's quite different than having a salaried position. And for the most part, the mental health benefits of not being in an office outweigh my need to have a very consistent income. And so 2020 and 2021 were incredible. I felt completely safe financially. I felt completely solid taken care of. And like my business was holding me up because people were at home and people suddenly thought, oh, 
what if what if now is the best time to write? There was a sense of possibility amid, amidst all the fear and stress of that time. But when we moved into 2022 and 2023, the course income went hugely down, like 50 to 70% down. And I realized that, okay, once again, I have to revisit this question. What do I want from writing in terms of money? And I realized that it was not working for me to have just one stream of income. And I'm counting teaching, writing, and coaching for writing as one stream in this way, even though they are slightly different. So the the shift has been to look at how can I diversify these streams and how can I lean into writing itself as a potential source of income? Now, to give you sort of a behind the scenes of how everything here at Book Alchemy works. It's mainly me, but I do have a wonderful VA, Allie, who some of you will know if you've taken courses. And I have Haley, who produces the podcast. So I pay them first. So they get paid every month from what we make. And Sometimes my my pay is the same as theirs. Sometimes it's more, um, but they're part-time. So the priority is that the people who work for me get paid first. And the goal is for me to thrive in this arrangement. Um, and sometimes that's stressful in terms of the income, and sometimes it works. So we're building this year to expand that model And I'm sharing that with you so that you can reflect on your own thoughts about what earning money and balancing that with writing might look like. The goal has always been for me to be able to write. And I've had mixed results with that that balance because I I love teaching just as much as I love my own writing. And I get just as invested in my students and clients' writing as I am in my own. And because I love talking about writing so much, having the podcast and a business where I talk about writing all the time, that's hugely fulfilling. And sometimes it's easy for me to push my own writing to the margins yet again, just like I did with day jobs because I am fulfilled. But ultimately over time, it is frustrating for me to see see myself push my own writing goals to the bottom of the list. So this has been a shift that I'm making this year, which is to put out at least two books. I'm saying that to you now. One of them is going to come out in... um, about midway through the year, late May, Um, and it's nonfiction. So I find it much easier to write with a structured schedule for nonfiction. And then fiction is more fluid. There's more of a discovery process. I need more time to explore and to let it marinate. So I've been working on a novel for 
I think about a year and a half now. And I'm planning to finish that this year and to pitch it or publish it, possibly pitch it and then publish it. We'll see. But that's because I, I want to bring income from books back into the equation. For a long time, it felt like too much pressure to consider my writing as a source of income. So for example, the thought of writing a book and thinking, how much can I earn from this book? Shut me down. I was too scared about writing the thing to then think of it as something that I could earn money from. And over the past years in writing consistently, that's no longer the case. I feel confident enough in my ability to finish books that I now want to open up to the possibility that by creating a schedule where I can publish at least one nonfiction book a year, and then perhaps a novel every year, every other year, every 18 months, something like that, that that can be a part of the equation. But I think this is very personal. There are writers I've interviewed for The Secret Library who make all of their income from writing books. Um, V.E. Schwab comes to mind that she, I think of as the, the sort of unicorn of writing where she got a book deal right out of university and has able to sustain her income writing books ever since. Now she works hard writing. She does not keep the sort of flexible writing schedule that I do. I'm writing my current nonfiction book an hour a day, five days a week, and that allows me to keep to the deadline I have. But that is not how she works. So in order to earn all of your money from writing, you have to spend the majority of your time writing. And that was another thing. Money and time work together really closely. And so I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to spend all of my time just writing books that I needed a lot of fuel surrounding it, like coaching, like teaching, like reading and engaging with the writing community. So that was another reason why I didn't want to put income from books at the center, because I knew that the activities that resulted in income from books, that that wasn't going to be possible or enjoyable for me to do 100% of the time. I am definitely an introvert, but I am not like a level 40 introvert. I'm like a level seven introvert. (laughs) I'm very social online, um, less so in person. I need a lot of downtime. So this, this shift has been part of the thoughts about money. And then in addition, there is this show. Um, This show has been as an identity and as a, as sort of as a concept, I've looked at it as an investment as a marketing tool and a community building tool for connecting with other writers who may become students, who may become clients, who may just benefit from the show itself. Um, However, this show costs a good deal of money to produce. And I have been looking at, is it possible for this show to sustain itself? And I've tried a number of models to that end up to this point. Um, Some of you may remember that we had a Patreon for the show at one point. And that was 
a community aspect. People could contribute. And we had Q&As. We had a couple of Zoom meetings. And it was possible for people to share their thoughts and insights about the show. And that was lovely. But Patreon felt like another task on my list. And it took a lot of energy to maintain. And it felt very separate from what else um, I was doing. It felt separate from the show production. And it just felt like another office in a way to maintain. So that was really fun, but also took a lot of energy. And it never managed to cover the show financially. It helped, but we didn't get to a point where the show was paying for itself. Um, We've also had sponsors for the show. And that too was a lot of admin. It was a lot of preparing packages to entice sponsors. And then it was a temporary arrangement. So then we had some sponsorship through the podcast service we were using. And that too was a mixed bag because I didn't always love the sponsors that were matched on our podcast service. So now I'm also looking at how can this show and this conversation about writing be a part of a self-sustaining system. So I'm very curious about how we can build this together and what this move of bringing the show over to Substack means is that we're able to have a conversation about the content of the show right alongside the episodes themselves. And I watched other shows for quite a while who did this. I was uncertain about whether it would work for our community, but the ability to have comments and back and forth conversation right under the episodes was so enticing to me that that felt like a reason to do it all on its own. And the other piece is that being able to have a paid membership where people can support the cost of the show was also a huge opportunity because this show is, it's a big endeavor and it has been for, you know, nine years at this point. Um, It costs, if we're being totally transparent and talking about money, it costs thousands of dollars to produce each season. And that's a cost I've borne myself um, for almost 10 years. And so that has resulted, of course, in students signing up for courses, in people signing up for coaching. And so it felt worth it. But as we're moving into a period when many people are in a challenging financial position, I've wanted to look at how can we create something that sustains the show and also supports those who maybe wouldn't be able to sign up for a course or wouldn't be able to participate in a membership or get private coaching or support that they would benefit from that has a community aspect. Because what I've seen over and over again in the courses that I offer is that the people who thrive, the writers who really thrive are those who feel they're not doing it alone. And it's always been a priority to offer a huge amount of accessible content. So the podcast 
over the past nine years has been my attempt to support those who aren't able to sign up for a course or work with me privately. But I feel like adding an in-between opportunity where people can become a member or a subscriber, a paid subscriber of the show would allow you to be a part of a community and get a taste of what that possibility is in terms of being a part of a community where other people are wanting to write. So this is going to evolve and change over time, just like everything else has. I'm trying to build an ecosystem that supports me as a writer, but also that supports you as a listener and allows you to build your life as a writer. So the way that we're starting out with this is that paid subscribers are helping us to continue the show, but also there will be a chat that is available just to paid subscribers. Anyone can comment on the posts on the show and those conversations will be available to everybody. But we will also have a chat for paid subscribers such that we can talk about themes, we can talk about the issues, and we can be a little bit more vulnerable than people might be willing to be, particularly on a topic like money, on a public forum for the show. So if this resonates with you, you might consider joining us and you won't miss out on these episodes. You won't miss out on anything because I want everyone to be able to listen for free. That's always been a priority. But I also want there to be a middle ground, a place where you can be more invested in the show and be more of a a part of it. We will, we will see what we build together. And this is what really excites me most. What writing has taught me over decades of working on it is that writing is one of the best tools for self-discovery and growth that I can think of. Being a writer has meant looking closely at emotion, at character, at lessons learned. And this is true for nonfiction and fiction, just in different ways. And the biggest lesson that I have learned, at least the one that's coming to mind now, is that surrender and flexibility are the most useful things to bring to writing. There's a lot of talk about discipline, and that always feels to me like putting yourself in a cage like forcing yourself to write. And writing is supposed to be, at least we hope so, an enjoyable pursuit. Something I always say to students and clients is that if you think about your favorite book, the one you love most in the world, and maybe if you're a rereader like I am, you've read it a number of times. But even if you have, Even if you've read a book half a dozen times, you still haven't spent as much time with that book as the author did. And so if we turn the tables and think of ourselves as the author, ourselves as the one spending so much more time than even the most dedicated, beloved reader of our future work, I think we deserve to enjoy that process. 
we, we deserve to enjoy those months or years spent on that project. And so if we're able to surrender and be flexible, rather than having really just tight, strict discipline, I think that will serve us better. And that's very much the spirit I want to bring to this show and to our new adventure, having it on Substack as well. This is not going to be a tight, disciplined pursuit. It's going to be an evolving, alive process. And what I find to be the quality that serves me far more than discipline is consistency. And so that is what I want to bring you with this show is consistency, consistent conversation, consistent exploration. We will show up every two weeks as the show will now be structured. We're going to have every two weeks episodes as opposed to every week for a short period of time. We're going to stretch our seasons a little longer. We're going to stretch our arms out so we can breathe more. And so you have more time to think and discuss between episodes. So we will still have around 10 episodes per season, but they'll be stretched over five months instead of three or so as they were before. And then we'll have a break in the summer months for us here in the Northern Hemisphere. And then we'll come back for the second half of the year and do it all over again with a new season. This will evolve. This will grow. I will surrender as this, this mode changes. That has been the case for nearly 10 years with the show. So I'm excited for you to be part of it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And I'll see you back here with our first interview for season 10, Talking About Money. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library. The Secret Library podcast is hosted by me, Caroline Donahue, and produced by Haley Hatcher. Theme music is composed by Emily Hawkins. To get show notes, links, join the conversation in the comments, and become a supporting member of the show, visit us at secretlibrarypodcast.com. We'll see you back here for the next episode.